Hello, everybody. I'll just wait a couple of seconds to let everybody into the room. Get a few more people in here. Okay, hello and welcome to Myosh webinars. My name is Christina and I will be your host for today. Today's webinar is Understanding Injury Risk in Aging Workers for a Sustainable Workforce. Now, the webinar is being presented to you by the wonderful Dr. Jenny Legg, who is a physiotherapist with a master's in ergonomist and the founder and CEO of Staunch Technology. Now, with Jenny today, we have Zach Louth. Now, Zach is also a physiotherapist by background with a grad cert in occupational health and ergonomics. Zach is also the GM of operations at Staunch Technology. Now, before we start, just a little bit of housekeeping. The chat function has been turned off. So if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to put them in the Q&A panel and we will open for questions periodically throughout the webinar. Now, just to let you all know, the webinar is being recorded and will be sent to the attendees, everybody that's involved once it's all published. Over to you, Zach and Jenny. Thank you, Christina. Um, good morning, everybody, or good afternoon um, for some of you all. Um, first question for you, what do you know about injury risks at your workplace and how much is your ageing workforce magnifying them for you? Well, who am I and why do I care? Um, I'm Dr. Jenny Legg and I'm joined today by um, Zach Louth. We are part of a team of people who are tired of people being hurt at work. Workplace injuries hurt, they hurt the bottom line, they hurt your reputation, and most importantly, they hurt the people we care about. When you think about what's going on or not at your workplace, and what you are responsible for. How are you feeling about how well prepared you are for preventing injuries and returning injured workers to your workforce right now? What about in the midst of a labor shortage and with an aging workforce? How is that making you feel? Are you a bit like, ah, oh, help, we're about to hit the wall? The current situation is a disaster waiting to happen. If we don't change direction, we're going to be in trouble. It's okay. There are people here who can help you. Or maybe you're kind of hanging in there. We're starting to hear a few grumbles around the ridges. Some people getting a bit more stressed. We're feeling very reactive at the moment, particularly to the demands of others. And we are more or less in compliance mode. We're just doing what we're told and we're trying to stay out of trouble. The seatbelt is on, and most of us are probably here. Or maybe you're starting to feel a little more comfortable, you're starting to take back a bit of control, you're being proactive and a bit more resourceful, and you're improving your skills. This is a good place to be in. You have a growth and solutions mindset, so well done, you. Or maybe you're one better there. You're looking really good, predicting what lies ahead, 
designing for the future, not just to protect us, but also to keep us comfortable. If you're a business operating in this place, please share our good stories with us, share your good stories with us after this presentation, because we absolutely love hearing about success. So how are we traveling? Are we in this help, oh my God mode? Are we at number B? We're okay at the moment, but there's warning signs. So we're in a reactive mode. Maybe we're trying new things and still learning. So we're being a bit more proactive or we're sitting comfortably and ready to design. We're in that predictive mode. By all means, please pop your rating of A, B, C or D in that Q&A session or maybe just scribble it down on a piece of paper and keep it to yourself. So where to from here? Well, let's see how we can help. What we're going to be having a chat about today is some opportunities for change in our approach to reducing risk in, in our ageing workforce. We're going to talk about the emerging focus on psychosocial factors, contributing to MSD and workers' comp, and discuss some modern approaches for identifying, managing and reviewing risk. And we'll finish up with 10 steps for improvement for a sustainable workforce. Zach, you want to have a bit of a chat here? Yeah, thank you, Jenny. As we start to consider an ageing workforce, we need to highlight ageing workforce uh, relative to job demands and how we design our work from a sustainability perspective to be future focused. I think we can all recognise that the body changes as we age. We lose around 1% of our physical capacity every year from the age of 30. Uh, I'm sure many of you have experienced that personally. I tipped over 30 a few years ago, so I'm starting to feel that as well. And your exercise tolerance and your strength slowly starts to decline with age. Though in the workplace, are we effectively recognising this physiological process? And where does risk management across the employee life cycle sit? And what does it look like within your business? As physiotherapists, we would often see pre-employments and return-to-work assessments occur, though these levers, uh, they're often pulled too early and then far too late. So I'd like you to consider, is your workforce ageing? What risk factors are you currently seeking to control? Do you understand your current age exposure and where you'll be in 10 years? And do the senior leaders in your business care about this, or are they just focused on the here and now? And how can you position yourself to help them decide uh, to future-proof the operations and safety performance of your business? And as we consider sustainability for an ageing workforce, we must recognise that musculoskeletal disorders are multifactorial. And we'd just like to explore a few of these factors. Injury risk isn't simply a mismatch between physical capabilities and physical requirements of work across the employee life cycle. Traditional methods of controlling musculoskeletal risk included controlling physical hazards, such as heavy lifting, uh, repetition, awkward loads, that type of thing. A growing body of evidence that is now supported by codes of practice highlight that injury risk to workers is a combination of interrelated factors across physical, psychosocial and physiological domains. Modelling such as this has continued to be supported by contemporary research with psychosocial workplace factors of support, collaboration, job control and job demands 
being shown to be statistically significantly associated with risk and progression of musculoskeletal disorders in Australia. For musculoskeletal disorders, we often see an interaction in factors and hazards with each other that affect risk. Therefore, effective management requires a broad systems-based framework and more holistic assessment of risk from all relevant hazards together rather than in isolation from each other all the way through the employee life cycle. So I had a conversation, Zach, it was interesting. I, I caught up with a, a couple of board members in the other day and I asked them, how are you managing risk for your ageing workforce? And to be honest, I was quite flabbergasted with what they <laughs> said back, what they said back to me because they go, oh, yeah, that's okay. We'll just hire more people. And I'm sitting there going, but it's not your workforce that's getting older. It's the workforce that's getting older. You know, our baby boomers are reaching retirement age. We've got less people coming in because of slow population growth. Yeah, the average sure. age of the population is increasing. And, of course, due to increased pension age and economic challenges, people are staying a bit longer or even returning to the workforce. And the net effect is that our whole workforce is ageing. And we've had looked at, you know, some traditional strategies you talked about before about leaving the heavier or harder work, you know, to the young people. Yeah. That's not going to continue to work, and it shouldn't. We need to be designing better work for all workers. It also means that we need to increase the workability of our ageing workforce so they can continue to work for longer and remain healthy and productive at work and still have enough left in the tank when they get home, right? So employers and ageing workers both need to take responsibility and we all have to work as a team if we're going to win because the labour shortage will come and go. But this ageing workforce challenge will not. A workplace health and wellness and good work practices cannot be seen to be a nice to have one day because they're already a must-do. If people are not in that C and D group, you know, that we were talking about on the airplane before, they're learning and designing, they will get left behind. What do you think, Zach? Oh, look, Jenny, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, a good statistic that we often talk about is that, you know, a quarter of the working population will be over the age of, of 65 by, by 2050. I mean, it, it is definitely moving in that direction. And I think, if, if we consider the physiological impacts um, of ageing, um, you know, we see you know, normal ageing being associated with gradual losses in aerobic capacity, muscle mass, um, muscle strength, spinal flexibility, hand grip, physical balance and, and bone tissue. And whilst ageing is generally associated with a decline in physical health, there are a range of individual factors that will impact on the extent of that decline and at what age that occurs for most people. And these factors, they include fitness level, lifestyle, weight, genetics. And we've got research that says that physical activity um, will usually you know, rapidly decline around the age of 55, which can then impact poorer health outcomes. And if we think about you know, people working far beyond 65, we know that on average, a male will live with at least one disability from the age uh, of 63, and a female live with one disability from the age of 65. 
And then adding lifestyle factors. Uh, you know, we've got a number of chronic health conditions exploding in Australia. Um, diabetes being a prime example. You know, we've got one person diagnosed every five minutes in Australia with around 1.7 million Australians having diabetes. And, uh, you know, they estimate there's 500,000 estimated to have undiagnosed diabetes. And that's just one condition that's strongly associated with musculoskeletal disorders like carpal tunnel syndrome and trigger finger. So we've got to think about how a workplace is positioned to be managing these types of health risks and age-related risks um, moving into the future. And then if we move beyond, you know, physical uh, changes for ageing and, and then physiological changes for ageing, we've got to consider psychosocial impacts of ageing as well. Psychosocial working conditions may play a significant role in the decline of health of older workers, particularly where there's low job control, which can lead to psychological health outcomes as well as poor physical health. Workers are more likely to report feeling older than their age as well when they're exposed to higher rates of workplace stresses. Reducing workplace stress will promote the health and well-being of older workers. And that's really well outlined in the Aging Workforce Report that uh, WorkSafe published in 2019. So this is particularly the case given for other psychosocial stresses where you see imbalances between effort and reward and work-life conflict, and they can increase um, blood pressure, hypertension and depression. So there is that interplay between psychosocial factors um, and then physiological findings that we're aware of. Look, older workers also expressed a greater need, uh, greater need than younger workers to remain employed. This means that they're more inclined to remain in unsatisfactory work and an unsatisfactory work environment. Or if anybody's, you know, heard some of the discussions around the psychosocial codes of practice, a dirty fishbowl, okay, they're more likely to stick around in that environment, which is not nice when you compare it to their younger uh, counterparts. And this is attributed to concerns about the negative consequences of speaking up, concerns about job security or potentially getting another job as well. And this is really concerning because research on workers with chronic disease showed that those with low psychosocial resources were more likely to be unemployed at three-year follow-up when compared to healthy workers. And some aspects of cognitive performance generally decline with age, such as reduction in reaction time, processing speed, and the precision of perceptual processes. Look, other aspects of cognitive function do tend to increase with age, though. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom here. So improved control of language and the ability to process and, and solve complex problems. And intelligence remains stable as well. Though reaction time slows, in part due to slowing of central processing, an increase in caution combined with knowledge and experience is a trade-off between speed and accuracy that may actually result in improved performance, safety and quality outcomes for older workers. So I think, Jenny, that's something important to recognise. It's not just, uh, you know, negative effects when we're talking about psychosocial impacts of ageing. Yeah, I think it's really important, you know, even though we're talking about, you know, some of the scientific, some of the science that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to focus on ability. Yes, you know, we're, not, we're not we're not here to talk about disability. We're talking about ability and how we can maximize that ability. Yeah, I yeah. do agree. Yeah. Considering those changes, so uh, physical physiological, psychosocial, we can look at data that's presented, um, you know, by Safe Work Australia, and they put some, bring some really good data together around, um, you know, the impact and, and costs of, of injuries and claims in Australia. And it is quite clear that older workers are injured more often. When they are injured, they take longer to recover and they cost more in workers' compensation costs. 
Um, when we look at the average cost of a claim, and we were only looking at the average cost in childcare the other day, you know, being fifteen thousand um, dollars, that's for a, a worker between the age of twenty and thirty-four. When you start to get to forty to forty-nine years old, that's you know one point two times that cost. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you're looking at a worker who's over the age of 60, it's, it's 1.4 times, 40% more. So the average cost to a worker um, in that sector would be $21,000 rather than 15. Yeah. Uh, That's so- good. It makes good business sense to make a difference. It's not, but, you know, it's it's absolutely 100% about doing the right thing by people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we all know that we need to get approval for stuff. And so yeah. sometimes we've got to, pre- you know, present that business risk, that business cost as well, right? We do, we do. And I think it's important that you can uh, forecast that risk, um, you know, as as well. Mm, yeah. So when we talk about forecasting your future workforce age exposure, we, we recommend looking at your employees uh, at, at the moment. And I'd recommend sort of chunking them up into the same, um, you know, 10-year age blocks that Safe Work Australia do. Um, and, and it's for that reason of building that business case internally that you can take to your senior leadership and take to your board and say, hey, look, we know at the moment this is where our age exposure is in the business. Um, what we need to consider is where are we going to be in 10 years' time? In what age brackets, in what age parameters are we hiring people? And in what age brackets are we seeing people leave the business as well? And in a lot of industries in Australia, you say food manufacturing as an example, your turnover is less than 5%. You don't have a lot of people leaving. And you've got people working into their 70s, well into their 70s. So this big bracket of people that's 50 to 59 at the moment are going to start seeing significant physiological changes. Um, But then working for another 20 years in your workforce Um, and my my question to everybody attending would be do you understand that change that they're going through but also relative to the work they're doing and the factors associated with their work both physical and and psychosocial so so zach so what you're saying from this graph here is that if people are looking at their future risk it's kind of you know, plot your workforce on this now, but then actually move those bars, you know, over for a couple of years and knowing that the ones coming in are probably going to get smaller and it's all at that end. So that's how that risk is going to exponentially change unless you actually change something at the workplace. Absolutely right. Absolutely, yeah. Jenny. Completely yeah. agree. Uh, we put forward just a couple of questions here just to start to get everybody thinking um, around this and we'll provide these to you afterwards. We've got a, a, um, a QR code on the next slide, but just to start thinking, what is the age spread of your current workforce? And not, you know, oh, you know, I think the average age at our at our work site is 45 or, or 35. What is the spread within those brackets specifically? Where are you hiring people? And then where are people leaving? That's what you need to consider to start to uh, forecast into the future. Yeah. So what we're going to do now is just take a quick break and we're going to put forward a QR code here and this will just give you a chance to to start to answer a few questions about your current um, exposure and then future um, exposure in and around that ageing workforce risk. Okay, so just to start to understand whether your business is vulnerable to the risks posed by an ageing workforce. Um, So if you'd like to just take a picture of this QR code at the moment, um, what it will do is ask you a few questions related to that. Um, and then once you've answered those questions, we'll be able to provide you with a simple one-page report overview, which will also give you a vulnerability risk uh, score. Cool. And Christina, while um, people are doing that, because it'll only take them, you know, a minute, 
Um, is there a couple of questions that have come through or is that feedback, you know, from where people think they're at in that moment? Uh, there are no questions as yet. So if anybody has any questions, please don't be shy and pop some in the Q&A box. Um, and going back to our four option question that you had before, we've got one person saying that they are in the A category and we mm -hmm. have one saying that they are in the B category. So a bit of a mixed bag there. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. So whilst let's move on to um, chatting about good work design. How, and, you know, it'd be interesting to know how people went on their assessment when they get those um, results come through. So where do you actually sit on this path? So if you think about, you know, if you had rated for yourself, you know, A, B, C or D at the start, the A and the B are probably more in that, um, sit more in that reactive mode. The C is going through proactive and the D are more in this predictive mode. So good work design moves an organisation from reactive injury management mode through to a predictive working smarter mode. Organisations with poor work design have poorer safety performance reflected in high injuries, high costs and high workers' comp premiums and poorer workplace culture with feelings of low trust, being poorly informed, low empowerment, you know, and morale. Organisations who implement good work design, on the other hand, benefit from improved injury rates and costs and better premiums. Their people have feelings of high levels of trust, they feel informed, and they are empowered with a better workplace culture. Now, Zach highlighted earlier about older workers are injured more often, take longer to recover, cost more in workers' comp costs, but they are also so much more beneficial to our workforce in other ways. They show up and they keep showing up and they bring along a wealth of experience problem-solving and communication skills. My concern, and this is echoed in the Ageing Workforce Report commissioned by Queensland Government, that employers are not recognising the increased risk of injury for older workers and do not have older worker-specific strategies for job design, return to work and maintaining workability. Most are still using the one-size-fits-all approach, which, as we know, is really one-size-fits-all, and not adjusting to the diversity, including yep. increasing age, you know, in the workforce. So, yeah, we talked about there's some studies that show lab tests of declining strength with age, but really, who needs to grip at maximum strength or jump onto a box or sprint to the other end of the room? We need to measure functional strength and identify the gap between abilities and job demands for useful information. You know, actually, when I did my um, PhD research, I looked at the predictive validity of functional testing um, in healthy workers. And we found that when there was a mismatch between worker abilities and job demands, those workers are three times more likely to have an injury and 5.8 times more likely to have an injury associated with manual handling. And, yeah, with older workers, there's some sensory abilities that decrease with age. But, you know, there's marvellous inventions these days. I don't know if you've heard about them, Zach. They're called glasses. Any <laughs> hearing aids? <laughs> you know, and, yes, there may be some cognitive tests. Might You know, you might be a second or two slower. But in the reality of most working days and most roles, it doesn't really matter. And if that's not enough, 
then apply ergonomic design principles for improved lighting or lifting equipment or improved user interfaces and decision-making tools. What matters is measuring and then addressing those risks. So the risk factors for our injuries in older workers, high physical work demands, such as prolonged static posture, heavy lifting, stressful and hazardous work environments, badly organized work, such as role conflicts, fear of poor performance, lack of career prospects. But you know what? These are the same risk factors for any worker. So don't be ageist people and leave the heavy work for the young workers. Good work design for older workers is for the benefit of all workers. So what's with the solution? What would your board or senior management team want to do about the ageing workforce? Are they just going to hire, you know, try and hire more young people? What are they going to try and do? Zach, you got a few thoughts about, you know, the, the emerging methods and the higher profile of sustainability in our workforce, right? For sure. Look, I mean, I think having a sustainable workforce and and having social sustainability and understanding and and putting you know resources toward managing your human capital is key, Jenny. You know, a sustainable workforce will seek to seek to meet you know, ESG parameters with a triple bottom line, uh, looking at profit, people, and the planet. Um, within an ESG framework, we're talking to the social factors that are crucial uh, to creating a sustainable organization. An organisation that is sustainable treats its people well and it won't only comply with safety regulations, but it will want to drive industry best practice and be right up that predictive end uh, that you were talking about earlier. That focus on human capital will include all practices related to its workforce, spanning across labour issues, sourcing of labour, diversity, equity and inclusion, support for ageing workers, but also support for younger workers and new workers as well. Psychological safety, management of psychosocial risks, and also a commitment to the continuing education and skill development and redevelopment of its workforce. The term social sustainability refers to the goal of building safe and healthy places, both inside and outside the workplace. And we need to positively leverage the impact that the businesses are having on local communities and overall society more broadly. We're, look, you know, at Staunch, we're really fortunate to be working with customers who are taking a future-focused approach to social sustainability with ensuring positive impacts to both communities, to both the community and the lives of the people within the communities that they're working with. And it's really amazing to be part of. Uh, you know, on the flip side to that, Jenny, I've seen firsthand the detrimental effects of exploitive overseas labour hire practices. Um, so there's still a long way to go uh, here in Australia, though I do believe that being part of that change is key. Yeah, yeah. And so how do we actually apply that sustainability approach for the ageing worker? Well, we actually use a personal risk management approach where we consider the health profile of that person through the continuum of their working life cycle from pre-hire to retire. We need to take into account all the considerations that we discussed that change as they age. So we're considering their health profile at that point in time, not just when they first started working with us. We need to consider a person's current abilities in comparison to their current job demands and the work environment. You recall from earlier in the session, Zach discussed the cause of injury when there is no gap between worker abilities and job demands. And conversely, that safety margin improves as we improve the workers' abilities or reduce the demands. 
So we need to be flexible in our approach and adaptable to a range of scenarios, such as when the work doesn't change, but our worker does, or the work changes and the work improve, worker improves, or the work changes and the worker declines. So having this future-focused mindset with a flexible model will result in a more sustainable workforce. So how do we measure and monitor these changing scenarios of work versus worker? Well, let's explore the value of some current and emerging um, technologies. First and foremost, technology is used to augment the human um, and not replace them. I'm referring to us, the decision makers, the influencers, the change makers. Technology is there to help us make better decisions, more informed decisions. When considering what technology to use to assess, to assist with your injury prevention and management, the first question to ask is, what am I trying to achieve? What is my why? Am I monitoring behaviour? Am I coaching behaviour? Am I measuring requirements or performance? Am I assessing change? The reason that these questions are important to us is because it will influence what technologies may be appropriate. For example, if I'm just considering an administrative control, you know, when you think about, you know, the hierarchy of control, if I'm just thinking of an administrative control, such as coaching someone to change a movement pattern or coaching, um, you know, checking for compliance, um, you know, with duration or and frequency, for example, then I'm okay with using tech that has less reliability and accuracy. Then there's a number of wearable motion sensors available that can do that for you. But if I'm measuring requirements of work for ergonomic redesign, then I need technology that is more reliable and has been validated. There are a number of visual detection systems available for this, although, of course, they are all in a continuous improvement process. So keep working with them and the people who provide that technology. But they do because they do currently have some limitations for measuring functional movement patterns. And ask your tech provider what are their current limitations so that you can allow for that in your assessment. For example, rotation is one of the things that they don't measure quite well um, yet, which, as we know, is one of the highest contributing um, movement patterns to injury. And, of course, they can also be um, limited by line of sight. Um, you'll need to measure force, lifting, carrying, pushing, pulling separately and have a platform to record and manage that data and interrogate it for benchmarking and insights. So when it comes to measuring human performance, for quite some time, there have been a variety of technologies available, even simple um, heart rate monitors and temp monitors for effort response, as well as technologies for measuring push, pull and mobility. The challenge um, with assessing human performance is in relation to the job, of course, is that the tests need to be functional and related to the inherent requirements of the role to be valid and legally defensible. So be cautious when vendors link static muscle tests with dynamic lifting and movement, for example. Technology that is reliable can be useful for measuring performance over time to demonstrate change. If it's not reliable, then that change could just be random. But regardless of what technology you're using, you're still going to need someone to interpret that information and ask, well, so what? If you are redesigning work, you still need to consult with the workforce and explore control options. We all know that participatory ergonomics approach 
is the most effective approach for making sustainable change. Try those changes, reassess them, and then you're probably going to have to review and change them again. If you are developing human improvement programs, you still need a way to coach, monitor, reassess and change. And these interventions will likely require a combination of technology and human involvement. It's not just a set and forget. We work with a variety of motion capture and wearable technology companies and, of course, have a platform for data management. So please contact with your tech. Contact us separately with your tech-related questions as we won't be presenting specific products um, in this forum. What you should be asking, though, is, is it safe, including security and privacy considerations? Is it reliable to be able to reassess change? Is it valid so that you know it actually is going to have an impact and will keep you out of court? Is it practical and useful? So, in other words, does it actually answer the question that I've just asked? So why does good work design matter? Well, the 10 principles of good work design was released to support the Australian Work Health and Safety Strategy for Health, Safety and Productive Working Lives. Good work design considers work tasks, activities, relationships and responsibilities, where you consider the work and the physical environment, biomechanical demands such as manual handling, cognitive such as mental complexity and psychosocial for feedback on autonomy. All these characteristics need to be considered across the full supply chain and across your operations. So you can be doing a large scale um, intervention such as whole of business or department like job rotation or teamwork, multi-skilling or maybe something smaller such as a supervisor changes someone's responsibilities return to work and accommodation. But the why we do things should always be at the centre of what we do. Good work design enhances health and wellbeing, employee engagement and performance. Good work design enhances business success and productivity, the utilisation of skills and efficiency and performance, and good work design helps you to meet your legal obligations. I'm going to very quickly go through these because I think I've been talking way too long, Zach. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's quickly go through these risks of poor work design. And because this list is a bit depressing, um, risks of poor work design um, include, but unfortunately, a lot limited to chronic understaffing with people being asked to work longer and cover extra hours. This gets results in mental health issues like burnout, stress, um, physical fatigue, overuse. The business suffers from reduced productivity. We have less time for maintenance and longer repair time. We've got fatigue-related incidents. And all of these, you know, feed into that perpetual turnover and broadness. Yeah. Can we, let's move on from this negativity now and start talking about some strategic solutions, huh? Perfect. Yeah. So I'm going to just very brief um, overview here. The 10 principles of good work design also allow outline how to so the key factors being actively involve the people who do the work, engage your um, workforce, engage your decision makers and leaders and ensure management buy-in and support, identify the hazards, assess and control risks and seek continuous improvement, following established risk assessment and risk management processes and learn from experts, evidence and experience. So be guided by scientific evidence, speak with others in your industry, read case studies and run your own experiments. 
Now this image here is from Safe Work Australia. Um, you can, um, if you like, the link is there on the page. Otherwise, just drop us a note and we can send you the link um, later. So let's now have a chat through some of the options you could consider um, in your business, Zach. Perfect. Thank you, Jenny. And uh, I mean, we can see why it's so important to consider, you know, work design and addressing work design for an aging workforce and why you really need to be measuring your workforce uh, and then measuring, you know, the work that they're performing over time. Uh, and again, there are a variety of technologies that can do that and do that well. Um, Firstly, with regards to job design, it's really important for an ageing worker that we're prioritising essential tasks um, and grouping tasks together to, to form a meaningful job for that person. What wouldn't be okay is just, I, I suppose, measuring tasks that don't have very high physical um, demands, clumping them together and then saying, well, that's, a say, a job for someone who's over the age of 65, because for them, that's not going to be meaningful and, in fact, may not make use of the skills that they have available. Uh, and then actually present a psychosocial risk to that worker. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think understanding the future age exposure and capability of your workforce is key. And I've been involved in that, uh, you know, a few times now where we're designing for 10 years from now, not next week. Okay, and if you know, uh, if you've got really good data from the last three years of where you've been hiring people and where people have been um, exiting your business, you should know, you should be able to quite easily forecast where your age exposure will be. Um, and then also just know that you, the sort of capabilities of workforce may be on that sort of downward trend as well. Um, so then design for that and into the future. And yeah, because it's important that people don't feel overwhelmed by all of these things that, you know, we go, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. We're not going to do them all next week. Yep. You know, we do have time to plan them out, but the important thing is that you actually start to plan it out, that you get that buy-in and that commitment. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and, and then I think the last point just on job design is to clarify processes and expectations um, to promote autonomy and remove any bottlenecks, um, you know, within the workplace because um, that's going to be um, important just from, you know, how how in charge of people's own work that they feel. Yeah. Um, so then with regards to automation and process change, it, it, look, it, it makes sense to automate um, repetitive or physically demanding tasks. We know that they can be a barrier to diver diversity and inclusion, uh, you know, targets anyway. And we have worked with a range of employers uh, who are working, you know, to try and eliminate those tasks where possible. Um, it, it can be quite difficult in some in industries to do that um, and where you can't obviously make sure that you've got people who can perform that work, match to that work. That is really important. Yeah, and doing that job matching um, is critical. And you remember, um, people may remember from some of the earlier slides, we had those color-coded body um, charts there. So yeah. that's actually some of the automated risk assessments that we do. And you can actually then match that worker's abilities um, with various jobs in the organization on demand to actually say, well, this is where this, this risk is, right? Absolutely. You know, areas for improvement. And then when um, just when considering risk as well, just looking at the the, the full risk profile and, and risk factors that may come from a manual task risk assessment um, as well, Jenny. So looking to control those uh, are really yeah. key as well uh, yeah. in, in when we're assessing um, for automation or process change. Yeah. 
Um, as we move through our, our 10 ideas, I think multi-skilling and building resilience is really key. And, and I think when we spoke about the psychosocial impacts um, of ageing, this one was really quite important. And, and particularly when you consider the social um, you know, factor of ESG, you're wanting to cross-train and cross-develop workers for flexibility and resilience. And that's not just, say, um, you know, physical skills, but also knowledge and knowledge workers um, as well, because the type of work that they will be doing um, you know, may change and may actually and you know suit how their brain is functioning as an older person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, i think also alternating work and alternating works not just you know alternating work between um, heavier and lighter tasks or those with static and dynamic postures but actually between cognitive and physical demands uh, and then with regards to individual risk, I mean, it's really key, isn't it, Jenny, that personalised risk management ap- approach um, mm. to understanding the work that the person is having to do and all parameters that are relevant to that work and, yeah. and you know, how you risk managing that versus the parameters, you know, of that person. And yeah, yeah. And it's about understanding that job, understanding the worker's abilities, identifying that risk. And then having personalized programs. But it's, and again, it's not just a set and forget, it's like reassess, you know, because uh, people's yeah. abilities change, right? Absolutely. And you have to also consider if you've got some physically demanding work uh, and you require people to be of a, of a sort of certain, you know, I would say flexibility and strength to perform that work. Um, once you're over the age of 55, strength gains take a really long time, like, like nine to 12 months. So muscle hypertrophy and strength gains and things like that in, in a younger population, if you're trying to get people at the top of that bell curve who might be either side of a 30 or even into their 40s, yeah. they can build strength in six to 12 weeks and then maintain that but if you're intervening with somebody when they're 55 60 years old and they're already at a significant mismatch with their work and you don't have any other work for them to be matched with you're going to have a really long time of that person increasing their capacity it it will take nine to 12 months if someone's over the age of 65 it will take 12 months it'll take a really long time yeah yeah um, and then just considering flexible work practices. So um, consider flexibility. And, and that's not just work from home, you know, or, or work from the office, but it considers how and when individuals um, and, and teams work. So I think that's really important um, yeah. as well, because that can improve work-life balance and um, it will also reduce the environmental impacts of travel um, and, and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then um, just providing, yeah, the healthy work relationships. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that's okay. I think um, yeah, that's all right. The healthy working relationships. Is, that's okay. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a really, it's a really important one, isn't it? And I, and I think a lot of people would have experienced that with, you know, work from home policies and flexible work and work from anywhere. And I know that we have a, a an anchor day on a Wednesday, you know, which is really nice. And that's everyone's kind of yeah, favourite day of the week. But the, again, just from a work design, perspective what you plan to do on that day where everyone's in the office is very very different the type of tasks that you're having you know the team do and that that you're doing is very different to the days that you know everyone's working from home your brain works differently your meetings should be structured differently Um, be a bit clever with regards to the design around flexible work practices and we actually borrowed that anchor day concept from one of our customers one of our clients you know where we were, um, you know, exploring what's our flexible work policy. So we don't have a work from home policy. It's a, a flexible work policy. Yeah. And we were exploring that. And I was talking to a whole bunch of people, you know, about what are you doing? What's your business doing? And 
they actually talked about that anchor day and, and how effective it was. And so it was a good example as well of you don't always have to have all the answers yourself. It's really yeah. important to talk to other people, what's working for them and, and what's not working for them. Yep. Yeah, agreed. And then we've been talking a lot, this is a really short slide, but we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, does it make sense to invest in older worker support strategies? And look, there is already some clear data here that it does. Okay, so we can see, um, you know, where there have been investments made um, as a result of health and safety strategies to support older workers. We see higher job satisfaction, increased engagement, decreased absenteeism, decreased turnover. So the business case is already there. And we're happy to share with this aging workforce report with anybody who'd like a, a copy of it so that you can start to put that forward um, to, to invest yeah. in resources required. Yeah. So we're kind of near the, at the end here, um, Zach. Yeah. So um, we've just got five key takeaways. Hey, do you want to kick those off and then we can um, wrap up our session today? Certainly. And then if anyone's got any questions, please just start having a think and just pop them into the Q&A. Jenny and I would be happy to answer them. Um, but our five key takeaways from today is firstly, understand your future workforce, age exposure, and then design for the future. Good work design happens in early planning, not when something goes wrong. Don't be designing for next week or the week after or even next year. Design for 10 years from now and where your workforce will be then. But remember, a point that we just spoke about quite recently in uh, a few slides ago, older bodies don't change fast. R remember that. But older minds are very useful, particularly mm -hmm. with the type of work that they're performing. We'd recommend adopting the 10 principles of good work design to move from a reactive uh, organisation to a predictive age-enabled organisation. And we put forward a few strategies as to how you could bring that to life. Mm -hmm. Start with yeah. what you know works uh, and then learn from others and engage experts. Yeah, so, you know, land and expand, um, yeah. you know, like to call it, um, you know, and then, of course, um, you know, don't try to do it on your own. Um, yeah. You know, your co-workers want a better place, you know, to work too. Um, you know, so invite them, you know, invite everyone to be involved. Ask them about um, their ideas. You know, experiment, learn together. Just because we have to make, we make a decision doesn't mean it's a final decision. You know, experiment, try, um, you know, reiterate, re reassess. And that, but that's involving people in decision making. That's how you get that real commitment and that buy-in, and of course, you know, ultimately success too. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up our, you know, more formal um, side of our presentation today. If anyone missed that vulnerability, um, please QR code earlier. That's there again um, for you now. Um, you'll get those um, results from those assessments um, through. But that's all that Zach and I have to formally, officially say. Um, Christina, over to you and open to any questions or, or thoughts for discussion. Before I wrap up, I um, I will just let you know that there has been some people pop some things into the Q&A box. So we've had someone share the um, healthy workers survey that WorkSafe Queensland did in the uh -huh in the Q&A box and provided the link there. So thank you to whoever did Perfect. that. Very helpful. Right. Yeah. Um, Michelle has written, we are a mining company and find that the younger generations are not interested in working in the mines and particularly in the transportation industry, driving on mine sites to ports long distance. It is very hard to attract people into this industry. Is anyone lobbying the government on training and other incentives? That's a really good question. 
Mm, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're not involved in that. I could certainly explore that with some of our customers. We do have a lot of customers, um, you know, in the mining um, sector. So absolutely can explore um, some of those options and, and come back to you. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dennis has also shared the uh, Centre for Work, Health and Safety dot New South Wales dot gov dot AU um, healthy older worker toolkit link with us as well. Um, this was a great toolkit for him. Um, so that was good too. Mm -hmm. um, if there are no other questions. Christina, I'm loving this. I love that, you know, we can get in a forum like this and, you know, Zach and I can have a chat about it. And, and you know, in the presentation, we're saying it's about learning from each other. It's about opening those conversations. What's working? What's not working? What have you tried? That kind of thing. So I ab absolutely love that people have taken the effort during the presentation, get some links, put it in, share it, because, you know, the was, more people that have talked about it, the better, right? I was going to say there's been so much yeah. wonderful insight and um, and really useful information within this, not just for older ageing workers, but for all ages. I've I've been thinking in my head, like, gosh, we're, you're so right. Everybody is getting older. That There's no stopping that, is there? So it's, um, it's such incredibly important information that you guys are sharing with. And you can tell you're so invested in it and um, so interested in it and just live and breathe it. So we think Thank you so much, Jenny and um, and Zach. As I mentioned at the start, we have recorded this webinar, so we're going to be able to share it with everybody who has registered to attend. Um, we'll also pop it onto the MyOsh website, um, our YouTube channel, and share it amongst our socials too. I'm sure Jenny and Zach will do the same on their end. But mm -hmm. if you have any questions or anything like that, Take a screenshot of their contact details now um, and be sure to reach out to them after this webinar because I'm sure they'll be more than happy to discuss anything around this um, moving forward. But again, thank you guys. It's been amazing and we hope to catch you all at the next webinar. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.